You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Hey, welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. I am here with my friends. I'm Frank Gill. Over in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. Is he mute? I don't know, but we're going to move on. Over in uh, Florida, we got Andrew Larson. Oh, hey, everybody. Can you actually hear me? I can hear him. And then oh, I'm not- back. I'm here. Oh, there's Jeff. And then in the same state, but a different <laughs> location, uh, we got Timothy Miller. Audio test one, two, three, four. Microphone All test. Right. Hello. Guys, I was a worship leader for about 10 or 15 years, so this cables and microphone thing is really new to me. I don't, I'm sorry. <laughs> So why why is it that Frank is the only person not wearing a hoodie when he lives quite <laughs> literally? He's thick blooded. He's got that. He's Northwest got that territory. Wisconsin cheddar running through his veins. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> I got I got my, my hoodies over my hoodies behind the camera on a chair because I have the heat on. It's like seventy two degrees in here. So I'm I also toasty. have the heat on in my office because it was fifty eight degrees outside. It's freezing. It, it's it's in the th- like low thirties right now outside, and the basement where I have my office does not have good heat. So I'm literally sitting under like a big heat lamp t- to stay warm, so I don't have to heat the whole thing. So, well, yeah. it's seventeen degrees here, and it just snowed several inches this morning, last night. See, I'm jealous though because it's cold here, but it doesn't snow very much, so it's not that fun. Driving this morning to work was not fun, so yeah, I don't I bet. know. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, I, let's get this out of the way. I'm gonna I'm gonna speak for Dell because as a person who lives in Wisconsin, um, this past Sunday I had to preach. And everyone was depressed and everyone was just disappointed and angry in Wisconsin. So you guys, before we got were recording, you guys were talking about how it was a great football weekend, maybe for everywhere except for Wisconsin. I mean, I didn't didn't have a, I didn't have a great, uh, I had a horrible three hours. I had a great five minutes and then a terrible, (laughs) you know, afterwards, afterwards. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Um. What else? Uh, any other thoughts on the football games? That happened? I mean, I saw some good highlights. I was just saying as a fan, just as a football fan. Oh, which all four games. By football fan, I mean someone who watches basically starting during this week of the season. Um, This was the first week of the season where I actually was like to my six-year-old, like, all right, I know you want to watch TV right now, but I'm pulling the card and I'm watching football today. So I don't normally care enough to do that. But yesterday I was like, let me watch football. I, I've but even as someone who watches almost every game all NFL all season long, I, I would argue that the the four games that we got this weekend are possibly the, the four greatest back-to-back-to-back-to-back. It's the best NFL weekend I've ever seen. For, for real. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I don't know. Like, the collection of the games as a whole, Like I've never been so into and excited. And, and those weren't even teams that I'm you know diehard about. I mean, granted, I was rooting hard for the Bucks, being I'm, I'm in Tampa now, but still, it was... Uh, I have never like held my hands on my head and said what more times watching football games. Like I couldn't believe it was just back, and especially that Kansas City Buffalo game. Man, I felt bad for Josh Allen. He's he's a beast, but he looks so dejected at the end of that game. But man, what, what, what a great what a great end to like a to a run, you know? What more can you do? That's you what know, I'm saying. You have a perfect passer rating, did nothing wrong, and you still lose. Not by much. I mean. But yeah, well, what a week! What a weekend for football. Uh, speaking of putting your head, head, heads, hands—I couldn't say that word. Your hands on your head and saying what? Um, the the conference is coming soon. 
<laughs> that's my segue. What? 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 It's crazy. The conference is almost here. We're like super close. I mean, it's less than less than uh, a month away. It's it's right around the corner, guys. I I'm, I'm so excited. I, I have friends who have been calling me and telling me about the the cars they're renting <laughs> to the conference. Um, James Saban. You guys know who James Saban is. He's I love to the James Saban. And um, he was telling me he was using this app called Toro um, to rent a car. Uh, yeah. As opposed to like, and so I told him, hey, I w- I'm thinking about using that app one day, not for the conference, because I want to rent a uh, Tesla, because I want to drive a Tesla, because I've never driven one before. And so he rented a Tesla for the conference, and he's picking me up from the airport. So, guys, I'm going to be driving to the conference in a, in a Tesla with James Saban. I'm pretty Toro is like it. where you rent someone else's car, right? It's like the Airbnb of vehicles, basically. Yeah. But you can get a Tesla from Hertz. So, I mean. You can? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, but you don't have to get a Tesla to come to this conference. You could just come to this conference. You and get a get Geo Uber. Metro. You get a Geo Metro. Do they, you get a big pickup truck that guzzles gas if you want. Yeah, it's Florida. They don't care. Um, <laughs> it's still 2018 down there. Um, it's it's. I'm super excited about this conference. Um uh, Prejudly Pastor Conference. Go to prejudlypastorconference.com. There's still spots available. We have so much fun in store, so many exciting things to do. And also, just the, the I can't stress this enough how meaningful and intimate it's going to be to be able to be together. And we're going to talk about some real practical, as in, as, as, in, as in the name of the conference, practical stuff about ministry to really hopefully we leave this conference um, just renewed. Uh, reinvigorated like all the other words everyone says about a conference, but also um, with a greater sense of I'm not doing this alone. I've I, I have I'm here with my friends. I've made some new friends, and that who who get us, who who understand me, and I'm going back to my churches uh, equipped with not just some new knowledge from friends, but knowing that I got people who have my back. And so if that sounds interesting to you, like I just saw Andrew and Tim. At uh, Disney World with uh, Derry Prinkert, who Derry Prinkert. And I think Andrew. I think you're the one that, that posted this, or maybe I forgot. One of you posted about how, like, how do you have longevity in ministry? It's by having yeah. ministry friends. That was Timmy. That was Timmy. Yeah, it I was mean, a, it's it so was true. Tim and Andrew in like a school of children. Were, <laughs> no, Correct. the school of children was when Tim and Derry and. Stephanie and Melissa and Janelle all decided that they did not want to go on the intense ride for <laughs> uh, for s- uh, mission space. And oh, so I didn't I want went, to be sick. No, it's I don't awful. want to ride that ride either. It's, I'm, I'm it's that age terrible. now. I'm just not doing and it. So I, it was me and all of the kids older than five. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I was the parent of record for 11 children at once. Dude, respect. I yeah. felt like I was in the My NBA. 12-year-old was, was there with you, and she, she can handle it. Yes. Her. Yeah, dude. So I mean, my biggest my biggest hope for this conference, all the stuff you said, Frank, is true. But also, I want to come home with a story or two that I cannot tell anybody else. That's yes. one of my goals. Like yeah, a hilarious sure. memory that I cannot possibly that, tell anybody. How could that not happen? And, and also, if you don't already have an incredible appreciation for God's creation, I think you're going to oh, get sure. that at Lakeview. Uh, yesterday, we had some great visitors. They're they're known as Sandhill Cranes. They were pecking the glass during worship and during the sermon. So not nice. only will you get to experience God's creation there, we're also going to go beachside and experience and destroy God's, God's creation. creation. <laughs> I mean, we're, we, we'll love on them. 
We, I mean, if anybody wants to eat shark, you know, that's another statement, but we'll, we'll love on God's creation uh, at the beach. But, but Tim, you had visitors, but did you have a cat? And Andrew, Bro. did you have a cat again? We did not have a cat, but Man, the, the people who brought those visitors sat me down and thanked me profusely for how kind we were to the people with the cat. They were kind of church weary, had not been inside of a church since they were teenagers and were anxious about coming, and then the whole cat gate happened, and they could <laughs> not have been more excited about how welcoming and kind our church was to the feline parents. Listen, if you don't find their address and send them a small packet of cat treats, you should resign. Oh, dude, Because I can't a, think of a better guest gift That's a great follow-up. That's just a bunch of cat level. Level. Hey, <laughs> That would be next level. Ju- just so you know, our church is cool. Here's some catnip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. You don't have to tell your parents it's from us. I'd rather you do it. At, I'd rather you do it at church than than you know go out and start driving. So, that's right. If you're gonna do it, might as well do it at church. Privately Pastor Conference, February twenty first to twenty third. It's not too late to sign up. Get it if you want a discount code. Just message me. I'm so so excited about it. It's got some stuff uh, surprises in store. It's gonna be great. And like Jeff said, I hope we have some stories that you can't tell anyone else because it. It only happens at the Parley Pastor. Basically, we're going to blackmail each other. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not doing that. It's not that kind of stuff, hopefully. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, February 21st, 23rd, go to Conference.com. Hey, we're going to take a quick Less than one month. Less than one month. That's right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into our clergy cliff note. And we are back, and we actually have a clergy cliff note over from the Canadian Gospel Coalition. Ooh. Um, it says Is that a that, different gospel than ours? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. a Canadian gospel, yeah. Um, uh, the, the article is entitled, Theological Discourse, Necessary but Dangerous. Ooh, how uh, – what a, what a zesty title that is. Um, basically uh, – Jeff, Jeff's the one that sent me this title, this article. Tell me if I'm wrong in kind of describing it. It's basically saying that there's a need for greater theological discourse in the church, but however, there is a major risk in doing that. How, Jeff, how would you say the article defines what that risk is? Well, I think, I mean, to me, when I read this article, um, it made me think about the conversation that a lot of people have had about just biblical literacy over the last decade or so. Like people don't know Bible stories. They don't know. Uh, in general. And so I think when you start having a debate and uh, you start talking about different issues, I mean, I know the one that comes up very often in my conversations with people who are kind of like, uh, let's see, church adjacent, like they they kind of uh, know somebody in the church and you see them once in a while. Um, they'll, you know, they do the, the, they'll be asking questions about do babies go to heaven? Do pets go to heaven? Uh, all that kind of stuff. And w- once you start talking to them about that, they don't have the the context or even the language to even have that conversation. And so it turns into like a lot of logical fallacies. It turns into just attacking one another instead of actually being able to debate something. And even in the church, I think there's a lot more atmosphere of tension around certain issues that people seem to not be able to say, you know, this is a secondary issue. I disagree with you about it, but that's all right. You know, we can just have our debate. I have a few friends that I do have those with 
but it's almost it's like it's like few and far between and it's 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 nerve-wracking you know when someone asks you about like what's this whole predestination thing about you just like oh boy you know here we go i'm gonna either be a jerk or i'm gonna get kicked out of my fantasy football league if i actually answer this question (laughs) um so yeah i think that he was saying it's like you have to have theological discourse um which inherently leads to you know some disagreement or questioning but it's dangerous because people almost seem a little edgy about almost everything and they don't even know what they're talking about but if you say something that doesn't go along with what their preconceived ideas are they have a hard time kind of dealing with it yeah and you said something really good in there jeff about uh primary and secondary issues and i think mm-hmm. that's where we get lost a lot of times where we'll we'll have these conversations or debates or or we won't and one of the fears is you know well if there's disagreement we're going to have to break fellowship over this well no not necessarily depending on the disagreement so i think uh, granted we are the practically pastoring podcast there's a really practical book out there on this topic that that we as a leadership team in my church read it's called finding the right hills to die on so yeah. if you want to dive a little bit further in this uh, man, that that book will really help have some great, maybe some good conversation starters with your leadership team uh, for, hey, this is this is primary, this is secondary, this is peripheral, we can chat about it, we can have fun with it, but by all means, do not break fellowship over it. I had an email last week, a predestination conversation came up, someone who hadn't even visited our church yet was emailing me in advance to their visit, um, questioning my my beliefs on Calvinism and but the, the the best part was how they opened the email <laughs> um like like as if you didn't already know where they stood on certain matters and, and it was basically uh do you guys believe that salvation is for everyone or not and I was like oh boy like that's it was like that's that was the intro to hey my name's Gary do you believe Jesus is for everyone I'm like well hang on <laughs> they ended up coming to church had a great time and, and responded. We'll, we'll see you again next week, even though we probably do disagree theologically, which was kind of cool. Yeah. I love that book. It's, uh, I love it. He's, I believe the author is um, Presbyterian and he doesn't like hide his like convictions, but he's so gracious in explaining that when it's a secondary issue, it's absolutely a secondary issue. And he even explains that like those secondary issues where they're important in the sense of like where it does create tension in your church, but also how like how it's not that important in terms of not being able to be fellowship with someone else. It's it's a really great nuanced book that I think a lot of people in ministry should read or people who work at a church should read. One of my favorite uh, DTS professors, Dr. Michael Spiegel, is fairly popular on Twitter these days because he does these theo- Theology 101 posts. And I would say two or three times a month, something to the extent of any theology that turns you into a jerk is bad theology. And I think that that is something that every church needs to know. Yes, theological discourse is important, but being right and being a jerk about being right are two different things. And being a jerk, even though you're right, can make the wrong side of the argument a lot more appealing. Why do you think the Mormon church continues to grow? It's because they're nice. So um, their their arguments don't work out, but sometimes people are drawn to kindness. So be right, but don't be a jerk about being right. Well, and I think what, you know, Tim and Frank, what you're saying too, is like that's really the issue under the issue is which things are primary and which things are not. And I think a lot of times when, 
you know, in the article that I shared, one of the things he says is that Jesus, you know, never, um, he, he never held people in contempt. He never felt hatred toward people. And I think it's especially tempting for a younger pastor who goes into his first pastorate to think that every issue is a non-starter. Like that every theological debate is we have to solve this first before we can do anything else. And that's just not true. Um, the list of things that are non-starters is very, very small. It's a small but really important but very small list. And then there's the secondary things, which I would say would still, you know, so I would put uh, secondary issue, Arminianism, Calvinism, complementarianism, egalitarian. Those are on the secondary tier. And the reason that they're not going to affect, like you can do ministry, a Calvinist and an Arminian should be able to do an outreach event together. They think the way it works is different, but they think salvation works basically the same. Faith in Christ alone, that's it. But when it comes to the secondary tier of things, that's going to affect your ability to be in a church together and to be leading together. So if you are a strong complementarian and you're, you you ask somebody to be an elder and they're a strong egalitarian, well, that's going to it's going to have effect. You might still be able to be in the same church together, but probably leading together is going to be difficult. And then there's third, fourth level things like what style of music are we going to have that pretty much you can disagree on all you want and still totally be in fellowship together. But if you start making those fourth, third tier things like non-starters, then you've gone down a path where basically everything is, a, is like you said, Tim, a hill you have to die on. And it, you're just not going to be able to, for one, you're not going to be able to get any ministry done. You're not going to be able to make disciples of anybody because you're going to just be trying to correct everybody all the time. And you're going to end up being that jerk, that embattled young pastor who's fighting everybody all the time. But I appreciate the spirit of the article because the idea is have these conversations. Don't be afraid of these conversations. But I think what we're all getting at here is sometimes you need to preface these conversations with, hey, uh, this matters, this conversation matters, but this is not something we are going to break fellowship over, even if we disagree, d- depending well, on think, the, the issue they're talking about. I think the onus is on, as pastors, you know, specifically talking to us, the onus is on us to be an example of what it looks like, hopefully, to be a mature believer who can have disagreement, and if not, to be an example of what it looks like to repent when you need to repent to the people, to their face that you need to repent to, and say, you know... I had this conviction, and I still have the conviction, but the way I treated you was wrong, and will you forgive me? I sinned against you, and and be able to call that out specifically, because if you're not able to be that example, you're not going to be able to expect anybody in your church to grow to that, and the, the hard part is when you're younger, and you have folks who are you know chronologically much older than you, but who are at the same maturity level they've been at for decades when it comes to having disagreements about things. I think this could also come out in our preaching. Uh, we, we have an opportunity to say, "Hey, th- this has been debated throughout church history." Here, mm-hmm. Here's a couple of here's a couple. Of, you don't have to go into detail, right? But I think noting that this has been a debate, this has been something people have gone back and forth over. I don't have all the answers. I might lean on this side, but if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm going to be okay with that. I think we have an opportunity to model that even in our preaching as well as in our one-on-one conversations, like you're saying, Jeff. I think just being willing to be wrong is such a huge way to build relationships with people. To say, "Hey, I." I am willing to be wrong. I'm willing to do the reading. I'm willing to do the studying. I'm willing for the Holy Spirit to do work on me. I'm willing to change if I'm wrong is not something that is modeled for a lot of people. 
Well, and th- I mean, to get technical about it, that is a qualification for being a pastor. You, yeah. To, to, to not be willing to be wrong is to be arrogant and pugnacious, both of which are qualifications for the office. Mm-hmm. Of I don't even know what pugnacious means. Like the fight. I just, thought of, a, I just thought of a pug. Yeah. You know, it's a little squishy face and the big yeah, old eyeballs. Yeah, I think that's eyeballs. where they got their name, Andrew. Cute, though. Wow. I think cute. that's what the Greek was referring to, yeah. Must be. Hey, I think this was a great discussion. I think it's going to tie great, like, really well into our main discussion. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into our main discussion, which is a question from one of our listeners. Hey, we are back, and um, I got a text message from uh, – not a text message, rather. He was, it was an email from one of the guys who was attending the conference, and he, he was you know just asking me, hey, do you think some of these discussions, some of these questions we brought up at the conference, which they will, but I felt like it was a great question to bring up right now. And so it's a question about small church discipleship, which I think it might be a good thing for you guys to riff on. Um, the question was – uh, my church is only 50 to 100 people. How do I effectively disciple my people? Do I even try small groups? That's a question from my buddy Matt Coyne. Hey, what do you guys uh, what do you guys think about that? First of all, I'm offended that you said only, okay? It's touchy for me. Oh, that's what he said, not me. That's what he said. That's what he said, not me. I'm I would not never really say that. Offended. I'm not really so. offended. I say it all the time. We're only 30 people. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I think there's a lot to discuss here. I think there's definitely dynamics in a small church that are different than a big church. I, I want to say first, though, I don't think like we don't small churches can learn a lot of great things from big churches. It, you just have to be willing to kind of adapt them. And I think big churches can probably learn some stuff from small churches. But in my, I've only ever been really in pretty small churches. And I would say the thing that you can learn the most from big churches is how is how to use systems and structure really well to serve people. Cause that that's one thing that big churches really have to do well. And the ones that are really doing a good job at making disciples do that well. So um, when it comes to discipleship in a small church, really this is true of any church. Um, but when it comes to a small church, I think it's the, the unique thing is, um, and I got this from, there's a guy named Carl Vaders who does a lot of writing about small churches. I'll, I'll send you the link Frank to this article. Um, when you asked the question earlier, I remembered it and went and found it. So I'll send you the link. But one of the things he talks about is in a larger church, it's a little bit easier to use the same discipleship program over and over because you have a lot more people coming through. Whereas in a smaller church, like in my church, I've basically had the same group of people for five years. So if I do a, you know, a a year long, 18 month long, six month long, whatever it is, discipleship program, almost all of them are going to be able to go through it. And then what? So to, you know, for a smaller church, I think you have to be, you really have to be willing to uh, do the work of, you know, there is no one size fits all because in a smaller church, you kind of have to change and do different things. So um, for me, I think it starts with, you know, if you're coming into a pastorate and it's a smaller congregation, let's say a hundred or under, I think you really have to take some time, and you can be doing this even as you're, you know, let's say you're in youth ministry or you're in worship ministry or whatever, and you're you're thinking senior pastor is my next thing. You need to spend a good season of time really in prayer and reading and educating yourself and thinking through what do I mean when I say the word disciple? 
and and be able to articulate that in a sentence. Because to talk about discipleship, you have to be able to define what do I mean when I say the word disciple? Because it's kind of an ethereal word. We use it a lot, but everybody kind of means something a little bit different. And there's probably 150 you know, right definitions of the word disciple. So for me, that's where it starts. I think absolutely, yes, you can do discipleship. Yes, you can do small groups. They they might look a little bit different. And for me, the big realization the past couple of years has been realizing that we are not opposing forces with other churches. We're right. not, we are not competing with them. And in some ways, like, you know, hey, if we don't have tithe dollars, the, the lights are going to get turned off. So that's that's a real thing. But, you know, we are on the same team. We're playing for the same side. I would say every single one of our small groups that meets regularly in our church has active participants that go to other churches on Sunday morning. Mm. And our small groups sometimes are the best um, ambassadors of our church. I've done funerals of people that have worshiped at whatever big mega church for years, but never knew the pastor, but saw me every Tuesday morning when they came in for small group. And so because of that, once, you know, when, when they passed, the funeral didn't make sense to have it in the giant worship center with 3000 seats and said they wanted it in the room that their whole family could be in. So not seeing the big church down the street as the enemy, but as a resource yeah. you can use, like we sent my kids to Awana at uh, one of the big churches down the street from us. And we have people in our small groups from those churches. I think there's, there's ways to disciple people and kind of just realize that your church is a part of the church in your community. You are not, unless you are in the middle of, you know, Nebraska somewhere in a town of 300 people, chances are you can do discipleship better by partnering with other churches. And that's true. If you're a big church, small church, medium sized church, working together with other churches is going to be a good way to produce disciples. Yeah. I would just say the small group thing, um, like just be okay with it might just be one small group. Like if it's really a really small church, the church might be the small group. So like it might be the same people that come to service on Sunday for your quote unquote public service and you're doing a small group on Wednesday night. It might just be the same people. The point isn't the numbers. The point is making disciples. And in a small church, uh, you really that there is no like like I said, one size fits all my my like tension and the thing I like battle in my own head the most is that I what I want to do it's like, all right, here's the program. I'm just going to put this as in place, and now I'm good with discipleship. But the reality is, like, that's the whole job. Is just, I mean, the whole job of being a pastor is making disciples. So, like, you're never going to not be thinking about my discipleship process and what it looks like. It doesn't mean you can't have some framework. doesn't mean you can't have some, you know, some ideas. And I would say one of the most helpful things for me is just either get a journal or just start a Google Doc and just start writing ideas down and start writing you know, what, what do I mean when I say disciple? And, and if that's what I mean, how do I measure how we're getting there? So for us, you know, I have a document that's just our discipleship strategy. It's a Google Doc. I just keep going on it and I keep correcting things and I have notes. And it's changed year over year because the world, I mean, if you're not adapting something in your discipleship process over the last two years, I just don't think like, what are you doing? Because the last two years have been completely tumultuous. So for us, I just have like a chart of, uh, we use these three words, worship, community, and mission. And then under each of those, we have three sort of uh, rhythms or things that we're looking for in each person that lets us know that we're getting there. So I'll give you one, for instance, uh, under mission, 
we would have, we want to see each person have a growing interest and a desire to see others who are far from God, but close to them come to trust in Jesus. So that doesn't mean they, they, you know, it's not a box you can check. It's just, we want to see this movement happening in this person's life. And then we have basically a chart of like, here's those nine things, three under each word, under each core value. And then we have another chart that's three ways that as a corporate body, we're going to try to facilitate that stuff to happen. So that's more for like the elders and the leadership team. That's really good, Jeff. I think, and I, and I like what you're getting at because you said the words we a lot for, for your church context. And I think that's so important for us as pastors to know our church context because sometimes in, in a smaller church setting, it's, a, it's, it's tempting to look at the bigger churches and say, oh, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Not that right. we can't learn from them, but we still need to understand that well, discipleship might look a little different for us, and that's okay that it looks different. I love that idea that your, your Wednesday night might be the same crowd as your Sunday morning, and that's okay. I think understanding who you are as a church, knowing your context, and, and knowing what's going to work best for the people God's blessed you with, I think that's going to be key in this whole discipleship process. I know um, one of our campuses... Um, it's pretty small in the sense that like it probably has probably less than 50 people at it. And um, one thing has been really, really difficult was to, to incorporate all of our camp. Our, our whole church's value is doing small group. And, and for whatever reason, small group has not ca- caught on in this campus. And I think it's like a cultural thing. Um, yep. th- this, this campus is specifically um, it's like 90% African-American and apparently one thing we've learned is that in the African-American context, small groups is not so much a thing as much as like a, a church Bible study that would happen either on Sunday nights or midweek yeah. or something like that. Uh, what I learned in, in that context, small groups is what happens when a, a person's like, I'm going to start my own church. I'm going to do a small group and take a couple of congregants from, from the church to start their own church. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was surprising to me. But we're, we're, one thing we've, we've decided to figure out is, okay. If small groups, how we've done it traditionally at all the other campuses works for those campuses, and we want to make it a value at this campus, let's get creative of how we do small groups. If, if, if folks in this community is used to a Bible study on Wednesday nights at the church, then let's do small groups at the church on Wednesday nights where we do functionally the same thing. And, and we're kind of like showing uh, this community that small groups is not this kind of like tactic to start a new church, but rather it's a, it's a, it's another means of, of discipleship. And all that to say is this, is that um, as you look at other churches doing discipleship models and things like that, just get, I, I like how, how Jeff said in the beginning, define the word discipleship and then work from there. Like you might have to get creative. Uh, the, the discipleship models that you can buy off a Lifeway shelf, which no one does anymore because Lifeway doesn't exist or the, the stores don't exist. But like buying like box curriculum might not work for your church, but get creative, right? Like figure out what does creatively doing discipleship in your context looks like and be faithful to do discipleship, not necessarily being faithful to do a certain curriculum or a certain discipleship model. Does that make sense? Yeah, you, you have to do discipleship to be a church. Like if you're, if you're not doing discipleship, you're not a church. I mean, that's just... It's the core of what we do is to make other disciples. So, but I would say, I think we just have to get out of thinking it, thinking of it like a specific program. So he asked the question, 
how do I effectively disciple, which I really appreciate because that assumes he is going to do some kind of discipleship. Yep. And then he asked, do I even try small groups, which I would say maybe. Yeah. Like small groups is just a means to an end. Remember, Sunday school is a discipleship tactic. Yep. It's a method. It's it's an ends to a mean uh, to, you know, and, and so it's a means to an end. I said that backwards. It's the means, not the end. And so you can stop doing Sunday school to do small groups, but you could also stop doing small groups to do Sunday school. If you end up in a rural church with like 30 very elderly people who are making disciples of their elderly friends and the way they're going to receive discipleship is Sunday school, then do, then do Sunday school. You know, do do what's effective. Don't think you have to do anything other than effectively make disciples. Do the potluck with the person standing at the podium in the church basement. That works. Yeah, I do. It, it's not cool. It's not sexy. But guess what? It, it's it's discipleship. And just because Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night has been a method that's worked, that doesn't mean that your church can't still make disciples with one hour a week of Sunday morning and then sending people out to be in groups and to, to study together the rest of that time. Not In a, in a very small church, discipleship program might look like just mentoring people. It might I, look I, like you having like four coffees a week with different people. Bam, you're doing discipleship. I would say one other thing that is huge for discipleship that any church can do is get people that are serving together. And yes. that could look different in whatever community it is. Our men's Saturday morning group, which the median age, I kid you not, is probably 77 in that group. They've grown so much over the past couple months because they've started to replace the fence in our backyard board by board. And so the number of men that wanted to sit around and watch a DVD of David Jeremiah or whatever it was is not that many. The number of men that wanted to come out and get sweaty and, you know, and get to put up a fence after they watched that DVD was exponentially more. And that those relationships are bigger and deeper if you're serving shoulder to shoulder with somebody else. So get two or three people from your church and find a children's home, find a foster parent that needs some shingles replaced and serve together. And that will be the catalyst to the kind of relationship that we talk about when we say small group. The difference between a small group and a Sunday school class is the relationship. Use the elderly for free manual labor is what I heard. That's what I heard. Got it. That is what I'm saying. Especially if they have bequeathed something to the church in their will, then those are the guys that you want to put up on the roof. Someone's (laughs) nice. Uh, oh yeah, don't, 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 I don't know if I should cut that out or just give this no, an example of what not just in there. Just leave it. It's great. All right. Wonderful. Hey, well, with that, I mean, I think this is all great. That um, was Andrew, everybody. Yeah. If you that want was, more. That was Delmar. That was, <laughs> that was Delmar. If you want more of these type of discussions, make sure you come to the Perkley Pensering Conference because this is the type of stuff that we're going to go into great detail. And I love it. This was good. We're going to take a quick break and we'll wrap up the show. Hey, uh, so one last reminder about the Project Pastoring Conference. Registration ends February 1st. So you want to get we, – because we at some point we got to make sure we, we order the stuff we're going to get. So make sure you register before you February can, 1st. You can register after February 1st. You just might not get anything. You'll get the That's content, true. just none of the take-home yeah. stuff. That's But who wants to go to a conference – 
get all the way there and not take home anything. That Yeah, you got to get the swag. So if you want the swag, get in there before February 1st. Hey, we are are, are excited about the conference. We're excited about you. Uh, please, we haven't talked about this in a while, rate and review the show, share it with a friend, Instagram, we got a Facebook group, all that kind of stuff. Hey, this was fun. We'll see you next week. I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And this is Practically Pastoring. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.